I want to present to you today the hypothesis in my mind, according to my personal theology, that without a God of sovereignty and free will, there is no such thing as democracy. There is no such thing as the people's freedom or the people's right to vote whenever you begin to turn your back on a sovereign God who does not over will free will. See, when you remove the belief of a holy heavenly father who does not intervene in the free will of man, then the only thing left is the tyrannical will of man. When you don't believe in the, not a, but the higher power, then all you can do is seek to enforce your own power. So what about America? We have been in this series where we are asking the question, is this the end? This is the question that the disciples were asking Jesus in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. And then they asked, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? I'm going to preach today what I believe everybody has probably been waiting for me to get to in the last three weeks of this series. I'm going to give you four signs today for this, this generation. And you'll understand what I mean by this. Now, if you're a guest here today, I want you to understand this is, this is not really normally how I preach. I'm not even really good at this kind of stuff. I have preached the last three weeks focusing on the point of studying end times. And hear me. The purpose of studying end times is not to have a better knowledge so you can feel better about your own security. The purpose of studying the last days and being aware of the time and the season is so that you will increase your own sensitivity and urgency for living for Jesus so that you reach people for Jesus. That was the purpose of his answer. And that's why we spent three weeks harping on that purpose. Hey, I know I blew through this last week, so I want to bring it back to your attention real quick. I want to review with you what I, what we, specifically the Assemblies of God, and I believe uh, most of our Protestant churches at the least share this prophetic last day's calendar, if you will, there is, in, in my opinion, in my interpretation, and, and again, I've been wrong before, it's just rare. And, and, and I don't believe that I'm wrong in this, but, but I could be. I believe the next thing that is set to happen is Revelation chapter 4. See, we are currently in Revelation chapter 1 through 3. We are currently in the church of today. And there are seven churches in the book of Revelation, and the seven churches are a description of seven churches that still exist right now today. So I believe that the next thing that's going to happen is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that the church, the bride of Christ, those who believe in him and have surrendered their lives to him, those who are following him 
are going to be caught up in the air with Jesus. And that is a reference to the rapture. Listen to me, nothing else has to happen prophetically for that biblical event to come to pass. And I'm going to show you everything else that has happened. And it's happened in some of your lifetimes. It's happened, some of it has happened before my lifetime. After that rapture, if you will, then there will be what the Bible refers to as a man of sin. There will be a, an antichrist, a, an individual who rises to power, possibly because of the chaos that's going to come to pass when hopefully billions, but I fear not as many millions as we may think, are truly living for Jesus and caught up in the air. I mean, imagine pilots being caught up in the air with Jesus. Imagine um, surgeons being, that's going to be, a, like, I mean, right in the middle, poof, tools all over the place, and just, just right there in the middle of everything. Imagine the chaos that's going to arise. And so in the midst of that chaos, one world government, one world currency. Guys, we're already on, on the way to, I mean, who would have thought, right? One, one virus and all the coins disappear. What does that have to do with that? Who knows why that even would happen? But here we are seeing these prophetic equations begin to line up. In the midst of his coming to power, this individual will sign a treaty according to Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 that individual will sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel and for the first time in several millennia the Israelites will be able to again perform temple sacrifices on the temple mound and hear me they are already measuring for the garments they are already doing DNA tests to find who the Levitical priest would be and who they can make and determine as the great high priest that can return back into the Holy of Holies. Those things are already in place. The Jewish nation is positioning themselves for the Messiah. Hear me, the Messianic Jewish nation and or the believers of the New Testament should be preparing for the return of the Messiah. If the Jewish nation is preparing for the coming of the Messiah and we believe that the Messiah already came, then we should be preparing for the return of the Messiah. Seven years, the Bible refers to this great tribulation. There will be three and a half years of peace and in the middle of that seven-year period the man of sin will stand on the temple mound he will commit what the Bible refers to as the abomination of desolation he will claim himself to be God and if you don't worship him just like the Hebrew boys refuse to worship Nebuchadnezzar then you will pay for it. You will pay for it with your life. You will pay for it with your family. You will pay for it by being forced to receive what the Bible refers to as the mark of the beast. Guys, again, I don't believe that I really have to worry or concern myself with what that mark is because I believe that the saints shall not see the wrath of God. I believe 
that I'm going to be caught up in the air in the twinkling of an eye as the lightning flashes from the east to the west like a thief in the night he's coming and he's coming for those who are looking for him so I shall not fear what else is going to happen in this world because I am not of this world I will be with the one who created and in all things were created that's who I am going to see now you may be able let me just confess you ready let me come down off the high horse real quick you could possibly convince me that the church possibly could be here for the first three and a half years. I, I could be what is referred to as a mid-tribulation person. I'm not, but it, it, it is possible that, that I could be. There's no way that you could convince me that the church has to stay as the bowls of judgment and God's wrath is being poured out upon this earth because God already poured his wrath out on his son on a cross called Calvary and he cannot trample underfoot his own son again because he's already crushed him so that we could receive the anointing. I just don't believe that we're going to be here. The reason that I believe we're going way over here is because as soon as I see this treaty signed between this man and the state of Israel, we've got 1,260 days until he stands on the temple mound and proclaims himself to be God. We've got 1,260 days of absolute hell. The earth is going to be baptized in fire. There's a 30-day grace period, and then there is a supposed battle of Armageddon that takes place in a land that's already been predetermined by Scripture, and we have a description of what that battle will be like. But in the midst of that battle, the clouds part the the sky will roll back the atmosphere will be split and there is one coming through the clouds on a white horse in a robe drenched in blood with a golden sash and eyes of fire and he will speak and the war is over at his word hey listen his word is not more powerful then than it is now <laughs> so in the middle of your battle if you'll just take what has already been given to you and speak, the war has already been won. I'm taking to this stuff. We will rule and reign with Jesus for 1,000 years. And at the end of that 1,000 years, that is the millennial reign or 1,000-year reign. At the end of that, the Bible says that the enemy, the devil, will be released one more time to deceive the nations. And then there will be a great white throne judgment. At some point, I believe that the church will be judged at the judgment seat of Jesus. And then the church will watch as God cast into the lake of fire the person that we were standing beside in Matthew 24. When one was taken and we were excited but one was left and we were brokenhearted. So what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, come on, unless it's my family member that I was standing right beside. And then I watch as the people that I could have ministered to, but I wasn't because I was American and I was just as distracted as everybody that I lived around, is cast into an eternal lake of fire. And then somehow, even though we will witness that, the Bible then says 
he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more pain and no more sorrow that's why we have to send missionaries into places that we're not willing to go it's why we have to be a living example of God's love every day that we live wherever he puts us it's why we can't look at an individual that he puts right in our way and walk around them as if they were in our way at the end of that the Bible says he will create a new heaven and a new earth heaven and earth as we know it shall pass away but he will create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and there we shall forever be with our Lord in Luke 21 which is the parallel passage to Matthew 24 the Bible says in verse 32 assuredly I say to you this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place this generation will get to what that generation is 33 heaven and earth shall pass away but my words the word that's going to end the battle of Armageddon the word that was spoken over the centurion's son, the word that was given in the beginning that created all things, and the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, the word will by no means pass away. Our question this morning that we want to answer is, who is this generation? Jesus said, this generation, who is this generation? Quickly, I want to tell you, what is a generation? What is a generation? It's just a reference. You don't have to turn there. Genesis chapter 6, God said, my spirit will not always strive with man. I will limit their days to 120 years. So at that point, God went from allowing his people on earth people like Abraham and Methuselah who would live to 700 and 900 years and God limited their days to 120 years. For some reason, God limited our days again because it says in Psalm chapter 90 verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years and if by reason of strength they are 80 years. Now I know that there are exceptions to every rule or every generalization so there are some people who live to be a hundred or a hundred and five or a hundred and ten even but in this age to this day since Psalm 90 was recorded the average lifespan of an individual is 70 to 80 years there will be a generation that sees Jesus the return of Christ is imminent. It's important for us to believe that the return of Christ is imminent because if we don't believe that his return is imminent, then we'll get distracted by the signs instead of looking for the Savior. The reason that I believe that his return is imminent is because that's what his word says. So he can come, imminent simply meaning at any Time. That's why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. It's why I believe we won't be here for the first three and a half years, and we certainly won't see the last three and a half years because the Bible again promises that the saints shall not see the wrath of God. And so I challenge you 
not to let wolf criers over the ages determine what you believe about God's word in this age. Let me say that again just in case I'm missing you because I'm talking so much and going so fast. I want to encourage you not to let people who have cried wolf over the ages cause you to get comfortable despite the prophets that have proclaimed his word throughout the ages. In other words, and I'm not really trying to be funny here, I just wanted this to to stick in your head um, because I know that this was a serious event and, and some people you may have even you may even know or be somebody that suffered significantly from this event. But I want to tell you, don't get Katrinaed. Now here's what I mean by that. See, I know it's hard not to laugh at, but I want you to remember it. Because there had not been for quite some time a hurricane of this level of this category and so because every time a hurricane is coming some dramatic mama's boy gets on the news and starts panting around and being blown off of his feet at what's coming we begin to take for granted what could really be coming and that's what happened in South Louisiana when Katrina was preparing to hit the shore. They had heard so many people call wolf throughout the ages and nothing happened that when the word of truth came, they didn't believe the word because they had believed in the wolf. And so they stayed and people were stuck and way more people lost their lives and were subject to what Katrina caused in damage than needed to be. Listen to me, we may not be the generation, but hear me, friend, there will be a generation. And hear me, even if we're not the generation, then we should live as if we are. Because, come on, somebody is the generation. Jesus, again, in Luke 21, verse 36 says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. This is how you're counted worthy to escape, is if you're watching and praying always. That you may be counted worthy to escape. Escape caught up in the air, raptured before it all comes to pass with Jesus instead of here in the midst of God's judgment. All these things that will come and to stand before, Jesus is essentially saying me. Four signs for this generation. You ready? Number one, the explosion of knowledge. The explosion of knowledge. My staff thinks I can't get through this. I can too. I hear you. We can do it. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. The Bible says, those who are wise. Now listen, there's a difference between being wise and having knowledge. See, wisdom involves application. Knowledge just involves understanding. And anybody can have knowledge. But there's a difference between being a hearer and a doer. 
And the Bible doesn't say that you're wise if you have knowledge. We understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, and knowledge, I mean, the beginning of all wisdom. And wisdom, hear me, is making the right decision before you have to learn from the wrong decision. Listen to me, 25 and under. Are you listening? If you're 25 and under, let me help you today. Wisdom is making the right decision before you have to learn from the wrong decision. Wisdom is listening to your mama. Come on, somebody, that ought to be some hankies waving in the house today. Wisdom is listening to your youth pastor. Wisdom is listening to your grandmother. Wisdom is listening to your coach. Wisdom is applying what all those people have told you so that you can learn from their lessons instead of forming your own scars. Those who are wise... Not just study charts, but live according to his word. They will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness. Listen to me, if you miss this, then you miss the point of acknowledging the signs of the season. Those who lead many to righteousness, that is the heaven, that is the reward that heaven has to offer and they will shine like the stars forever verse 4 but you Daniel keep this prophecy a secret seal it up until the time of the end when many will rush here and there somebody write travel in your notes why why are we in such a hurry now look I'm as guilty as any of you okay you just ask our office I come in I go out I come back in I go back out I go over here, I go over there, I go out there. I'm all over the place all the time. I'm hard to keep up with because I'm in a hurry. But it's not bad to be in a hurry, if you hear me, if you're in the hurry for the right reasons. The Bible says in the last days, many will rush here and there. They'll travel all over the place because they think seeing the world is the point of, a point of their existence. Travel will increase. And then it says knowledge that word increase it really means explode knowledge will explode think about this from the from the time of the garden of eden until the 19th century man traveled in horse and buggy until the 19th century historically knowledge only increased about every 200 years the turn of the past few millennium, statistically, knowledge began to increase every 50 years and then every 30 years. Knowledge has increased today. Knowledge increases every 12 to 18 months. In other words, what I bought last year is no longer relevant because of the explosion of technology and knowledge in the day in which we live. For thousands of years, the best way we could travel was on horseback. And then in the 19th century, a steam engine. And in the 20th century, an automobile. And a bicycle airplane. Then a prop plane. Then a jet plane. Now supersonic flight, where I can get from here to the other end of the earth in approximately 12 hours. Not only that, but we've left this world and began to travel in space and plant our flag on the moon. 
communication. The first several thousand years of man's existence, communication was through smoke signals and fire reflecting off of peaks, possibly drums within some tribes. The best means of communication was word of mouth. Even in the early days of America, the best way to get a message from here to there was to tell a messenger, put them on a horse and have them ride in a straight line until they got to where the message needed to be delivered. Then telegraph and telegram and telephone. And then pagers. A pager was something your parents could buzz and they'd put a number in. And we got really fancy. We began to learn how to type numbers that sent messages. If you turned it upside down, you could spell love if you put the right numbers in there. And you'd send that to your girlfriend, make everybody feel better about themselves. The only problem with those things, every time you went to use the bathroom, it'd plop out in the toilet. And then you had to reach down. You remember, some of y'all did that. <laughs> then we got cell phones, but they didn't come in, 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 in the... And then they got tiny. You remember when the cell phones got tiny? And then they got big again. You know, you never know whether it's a tiny phone or a big phone. And if you had a big phone, then you weren't popular. Why? Because when they first came out, they came with their own carrying case. It had a strap. I saw this thing. Some of you don't even know what a rotary phone is, but I'm telling you, you could only talk on the phone as long as that cord would let you. You remember that. You've strangled yourself trying to have a conversation with somebody because you were trying to cook and talk at the same time. And we've seen communication increase to the point where today I can say, Hey, Siri, call my wife. <laughs> I'm calling somebody. I did that on Thursday, and my phone started calling, my, started calling Megan. What the James Bond is going on? An explosion of knowledge that the Bible said will come to pass in the last days. Electricity, lasers, LEDs, fiber optics, microscopic surgeries, in and out in a day, what used to take a month to recover from. Entertainment. My children asked me this question not too long ago. Daddy, why are we watching commercials? You don't understand. To us to be able to fast forward through this filth. Here's a question you thought you'd never hear. What games do you have on your cell phone? Because <laughs> we started out with Snake. You know what I'm talking about? Now my kids are solving world hunger on an app. I don't even know how they opened it. An explosion of knowledge. We were reminded that just 30 years, 40 years ago, a Sunday school teacher in this church prophesied to a group of young men, every one of you have a social security number. Before you pass away, you'll have a cell phone, you'll have a telephone number. And they thought, oh, this guy's crazy. We have to call the operator to get a phone call out across town. And now every one of those boys have a, have a cell phone number. And listen, you're not odd if you don't have one. It just means you haven't fallen to the idea that you have to have something in order to be someone. My daughters don't have one. <laughs> The whole world wanted to know how in 
God's green earth, are we going to see two witnesses slain in the book of Revelation and laid dead as the whole world watches? And 20 years ago, that didn't make any sense. But today, all we know all we have to do is open up our cell phone and we can watch those two witnesses be resurrected. Previous theologians have thought, how are two-thirds of the world's population going to become non-existent so instantly? How is it possible for Revelation to prophesy that many people? Today, that would be several billion people passing away instantaneously. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 12 says, This shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Remember that. Their flesh, if, uh, if you're queasy, you might want to hold your ears for just a second. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. The atomic bomb is 150 million degrees and it explodes at one millionth of a second. Zechariah prophesied the atomic bombs of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And Zechariah is prophesying that those two bombs were just a precursor for what's going to come to pass as the earth as filled. Listen to me, knowledge without God is just an intellectual terrorist. Knowledge without conviction is Hitler's scientist. It's the Iranian nuclear weapons program. It's the pursuit of forced power opposing free will. It is, dare I say, the World Health Organization. I just went there. Number two, Israel will be reborn. This will be the third and final time that Israel is reborn. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 8 says, A nation shall be born in a day. And we would wonder how in the world might this come to pass, but on May 15th of 1948... A nation was reborn for the third and final time in one day, and that nation today is known as Israel. The prime minister of Israel at that time said the words of Isaiah the prophet have been fulfilled. Prepare for the Messiah is on his way. Two million Russian Jews have returned to Israel according to the prophet Jeremiah. Let me give you the precise order. I'll skip that prophecy. If you want to read that, it's in your notes. Jeremiah chapter 23. Here's the precise order in which the Jews have returned. First returning Jews to Palestine came primarily from eastern 
Arab countries. Second movement came from Western countries of Europe. Third, they came in great numbers from Russia or the North during the end of the 1980s. And finally, there was a great migration of Jews returning to Israel that came from the South, from Ethiopia and the like. Isaiah 43 verse 5, the Bible says and proclaims, do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bring your children from the Eastern Arab country. They're you from the Western European, especially German countries. See, Hitler nor history can take out what God has already said is going to happen. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. You've seen it happen in your lifetime. In 1967, the reborn nation, only about 20 years old at the time, was taken off guard by an attack that wasn't planned and wasn't prophesied. It turned into the six-day war in the nation of Israel. Israel, although it was attacked by Egypt and Arab nations, it was unprepared and undefensed, won an unlikely battle against its attackers, and for the first time since the days of Solomon, regained control of the city of Jerusalem. What does that have to do with the last days? Well, in Luke 21, verse 20, Jesus said, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know its desolation is near. He then goes on to say in verse 32, This generation, I personally believe it is the generation that sees Jerusalem surrounded by armies this generation and if you don't keep up with the Middle East it's happening see it didn't matter who surrounded Jerusalem or the state of Israel which why is such a fuss about Israel it's a piece of land it's a peninsula it's nine miles wide at its best why is the world so concerned for what's happening in Israel because it's been prophesied that they would be And Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, when you see a nation born in a day, when you see that nation recapture their their prophesied control of that city, all those other things, they're going to happen, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes. But when you see this sign, you need to know this generation shall not pass away until all these things come to pass. Number three, I believe one of the greatest signs, there will be a great departure. A great departure. First Timothy chapter four says, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. Now, just in case you didn't think you could turn away, the Bible just said you're wrong. Just in case you thought you couldn't depart what you had already been delivered from. The Bible says that in the last days, this word is in the last times, that's kairos, that's not chronological time, as you would see in a timeline like I showed you earlier. Kairos is a moment in time. Like your first kiss, which should be at the altar of your wedding, 
and we scoff at that because we don't understand the importance and the significance of sealing a covenant according to scripture. So when I say that I believe I can raise two little girls that have their first kiss at the altar as they seal their covenant, people smirk and laugh and think I'm nuts. But I'm not raising babies and children to become part of culture. I'm raising people to be consecrated despite the culture. It's the seal of a covenant. But in the last days, Kairos, in the last Kairos, in the last moments of time, some, that word in the Greek is times. It doesn't just mean some, it means someone. In fact, it goes a little deeper. Certain ones, anyone will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teaching that come from devils. Let's keep reading. So if that weren't important enough, Paul wrote another letter to Timothy further, further explaining why he was saying this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this will be on your screen. It's referenced in your notes. You can look it up in your word. You should know this, Timothy. This was apparently important. Paul wanted him to make sure and understand. He wasn't just writing. He said, she stopped. And he said, hey, hey, I know you're just kind of reading and you got distracted. Hey, look up, pay attention. You need to know this. That in the last days, there will be very difficult times. See, I know we don't really feel it the way that the church in Asia feels it. We don't really feel it like the believers in Islamic states feel it. Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not coming. Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not happening. Come on, America has become callous to conviction, so we don't feel things that we're supposed to feel because we're distracted by things that we're not supposed to be feeling. It's just the last time's message. I don't preach this way every week. I opened with that disclaimer. Verse 2, for people will love only themselves and their money. Sound familiar? They will be bo- they'll get mad if a preacher even asks for the money so that they can send a missionary because they don't understand what a budget is because they blew their budget on their favorite new toy. My bad. I'll get back to what God was saying. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. They're not just going to not do what God says. They're not just going to ignore God. They're going to rebel against him. They're going to scoff at him. Uh, disobedient to their parents. Boy, he just threw that one in there, didn't he? <laughs> Ungrateful. Have you ever seen a generation that was more entitled and less appreciative? We're in the last days. We live in a, in a generation of entitlement. They don't appreciate anything. We don't appreciate anything. I, I, can, I could be this. God, why don't I have... God, why don't you do for, we're entitled to, we think we deserve it. We should have health care for free, college for free, a job for free. We should start out at 22 years old, making as much as the 50-year-old CEO. We're entitled. <laughs> I'm not usually, I'm not really angry. I'm just preaching with passion. The Bible says they will consider nothing sacred. They won't understand why we think we need to assemble. They'll write tickets if you even try. Because there is a God-forsaken 99.6% chance that you'll catch a virus and stay healthy. 
But a 0.4% chance that, listen, friend, there's a 0.4% chance you're going to die from something else. Do you know 100 people died from a dog bite yesterday? We're not executing all the animals. Come on. I mean, some of them we are, but we eat them. We execute the edible. Somebody write that down. I mean, I ain't eating no dog. (laughs) Verse 3, they'll be unloving. And they won't be forgiving. They'll be unloving. And they won't be forgiving. Because they're not good at receiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They'll be cruel. They'll hate what is good. They'll betray their friends. They'll be reckless, puffed up with pride, love, pleasure, rather than God. They'll take God's symbol of his promise and wave it around as a symbol of their pride and you can just go ahead and imagine whatever I might be talking about right there they'll act religious why don't we wear suits to church anymore should care more about the house of God he's up there with his sleeves rolled up top button thinks that's pretty What song are we playing? These lights and this music. They'll act religious, but there's no power in it. Nobody's getting saved. They run more people off than they lead into Revelation. Sound familiar? Church will have to shut their doors because they were puffed up, loving their own songs loving their ear-tickling sermons, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. Timothy, stay away from people like that. There's too many other people to win. They won't invest in building God's kingdom. They're just interested in investing in their own social status. And anything that causes that social status to become uncomfortable is probably not of God because God is obviously a God of comfort. What happened? Great departure. We're in the last days. I believe. I've been wrong. Let me end on some good news. Number four. There will be a greater There will be the greatest harvest. Come on, church, I believe we are positioned for a great harvest. Breaking a religious spirit of bondage. Breaking symbolic rituals that are perceived as salvation. Breaking the following of pleasures, desires that lead to nothing but guilt and remorse on the next day. There's a greater harvest. In fact, there is the greatest harvest. The prophet Joel proclaimed and Peter reiterated in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, that in the last days, the Bible says, the Lord has promised, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Even the servants are going to start saying things that don't make any sense to the people that don't believe. My sons and my daughters will prophesy. The young men are going to have more vision. 
vision than the elder generation can even accomplish before their passing. And the old men are going to dream bigger than the young men can accomplish in one lifetime. It is the Spirit of the Lord making a promise for the last day's harvest. Daniel chapter 12, verse 8, many, the Bible says, shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise, those who take the wisdom of God and apply it to their lives, those who don't just study the signs, but they look for the Savior, and they're looking for the opportunity of the people that God puts in their path because they've got eternity laying on their heart. They can't walk by them. They have to walk with them. It's the last days. I close with this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. That's why the saints shall not see the wrath of God. Jesus already took care of that. To those who eagerly wait, he will appear. The New King James says, Unto them that look for him shall he appear. So the last thing that you can write down is I believe that people live for what they're looking. Now that was the grammatical correct style of that. Let me make it southern. People live for what they're looking for. You with me? In other words, if you're looking for success, then you will live for success. If you're looking for money, you will live for money. If you're looking for lust, you'll live for lust. If you're looking for corporate industrial climbing, then you will live to climb the industrial or the corporate ladder. If you're looking for souls, come on somebody, you will, you will live for souls. If you're looking for Jesus, then you will live for Jesus because people live for what they are looking for. And in the book of Hebrews said that Jesus is coming for those who are looking. Now, this is a promise and a problem because if I'm not looking for him, then he's not coming for me. Do you see why the Holy Spirit interrupted our time of prayer? Here's the good news. If I'm looking for him, then he's coming for me. To those who are looking, shall he appear apart from sin. See, the last time he came in sin and yet did not participate, he became sin. You remember that? He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. But next time, he's coming apart from sin. He's coming for salvation. So if we are looking for him, he's coming for us, and we are walking in the salvation that he already purchased for us. In fact, it's not enough for us to just possess it. We have to produce it because we carry the burden of being the answer to the chaos of the last days. We are 
the last days church prepared for a great harvest this generation shall not pass away until all all these things come to pass would you bow your head and close your eyes father for anybody in this room that doesn't know you we lift them up to you right now God, for anybody in this room or watching online that's not confident of who they are in you, we lift them up to you right now. God, I pray that you would burden the believer even right now, the follower of Jesus. May we have an urgency for the end times. God, may we have a burden for people that do not believe. Maybe we be more concerned with the people that you put in our path than the things that we just want to get done on that day. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you, are you ready? He's coming like a thief in the night in the twinkling of an eye as the lightning flashes from the east to the west. Are you ready? Jesus prophesied through a parable, the bridegroom is coming. Is your lamp full? you have the oil of the Holy Spirit? Are you looking for Him? Are you living for Him? Are you leading people to Him? If you're in the room right now and you need to give your life to Jesus, we prayed for you before you got here. If you're watching online, we've been praying for you all week. If you need to give your life to Jesus, if you need to receive salvation, I want to invite you right now to open your hands in your lap. Even if you prayed earlier during prayer, that time of prayer, I want to invite you right now to open your hands in your lap. If you need to refresh your commitment to Jesus because the Holy Spirit pricked your heart when the Bible said in the last days many will depart. And the Holy Spirit said if you're not careful, that's going to become you. Today you need to renew your covenant with him and walk out of here forgiven and free with heads bowed eyes closed and hands open live and online I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me today church let's support anybody that needs to pray this prayer out loud you be louder than them so they'll have the confidence to confess come on let's pray it together Jesus forgive me I'm fallen. I'm distracted. I've been disobedient. Cleanse me and save me. I believe you died on the cross. You were resurrected from the dead. You gave your life so that I could live. You came and you're coming back. Help me to look for you, to live for you and lead people to you. Take my life, make it yours. May I follow you with all of my heart every day that I live. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody give God praise this morning.